thank you for joining me for my second episode of 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. I am, of course, Travis Roy, and today I am discussing the 1993 album Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins, released on Virgin Records. It was produced by Butch Vig, and it is mostly available everywhere you'd want to stream it. It's kind of hard to get physical copies of it, even on vinyl these days. You can probably get some used copies of it out there. I have for this episode my dear old friend, Aaron Worley. I have known this guy for, I don't know, almost my whole life. And he is by far the biggest Smashing Pumpkins fan that I know. He has a real clear-eyed vision about Billy Corgan as a person, as a musician, about the band, about their history. He's got opinions and he's here to share them with us and I am grateful for it. On a personal note, I guess, I don't know if you're interested in this kind of thing. It's windy out. I'm going to talk about the weather. No, I'm not going to talk about the weather. Who fucking cares about the weather? All right, Aaron Worley. Woo! Let's talk Smashing Pumpkins. Hey! Oh, hello. Good? <laughs> yeah, you're good. Hello and welcome. Good to see you. Yeah, man. Do you have a physical copy of the album in some form? What do you have? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Got it right here. <laughs> awesome. It's beautiful. It's a 93 press thing. Oh, I think it's better. Oh, orange. That is orange. That's gorgeous. We'll start with uh, how do you and I know one another? Well, Travis, maybe people don't know, but uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, my brother and you were in the same class. Mm-hmm. I am two years older than you. And I remember me and my brother were really close. So we hung out, both my friends and his friends, you guys, and then like the Milford crew. You know, we all came together as adults. We still all hang out together. When this album came out in 1993, I think you would have been hanging out with my older brother. And I would have been hanging out with your younger brother. Yes, absolutely. As a, as a matter of fact, Dominic and your brother, uh-huh. were in, they got me into skateboarding again uh, as a teenager. They got you like back into that? Because I remember you as a skater in high school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we, we, we moved around a lot, you know that. We moved actually from Fayetteville, North Carolina to mm-hmm. uh, Heartland, Michigan, after living in the Detroit area for most of our lives. Dominic and your brother, I think, were a year older than me. You're in my sister's grade. Yep, Absolutely. Yep. And she used to drive me around. She used to drive me around town <laughs> before that I had nice a license. <laughs> Very nice of her. Yeah. Very. It's fun times. Uh, yeah. They got me into the back in the skateboarding and then they were into the no effects and yeah. uh, and the bad religion the bad stuff religion, like that. Right. Yeah. And I uh, I wasn't at the time. It just wasn't mm-hmm. uh, the skate punk thing. No, I was yeah. more into this uh, alternative scene. <laughs> so when I was looking at um, the albums that came out in 1993, like this is an album I had to do. I had to do in the show, regardless of how I even feel about it, which of course it's a classic to me. But when I think of the album, I mean, like I think of you, I think of you and your brother, Corey, yeah. but um, I'm like, who better to have on it and talk about this album with? Do you remember when you first came to it or how you came to the album? No. I don't. And I was thinking about this leading up to this conversation. I was like, what the hell? Like, what is the first thing I remember about Smashing Pumpkins? 
And I just can't put a finger on it. I really can't. I don't, I think I remember hearing like I am one and then thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. And, but then I think the first time I really, really got into it was when they blew up, obviously. Uh, I think it was yeah. today. I was like, oh, that guitar sound is awesome. And it's right about <laughs> the same time I started playing guitar. So I was like that yeah. tone started yep. thinking about the things. So that was another thing that just got me into it. Just the guitar work. And I was just like, this is, this sounds so cool. It sounded like a, like the perfect blend of everything I've ever, ever heard before, because before that I got into, um, my, my dad, my mom were into Motown mm-hmm. and uh, and gospel mm-hmm. and uh, not too much classical rock. But I found in middle school, I found all these things like uh, Eric Clapton mm-hmm. and <laughs> Leonard Skinner, uh, Steve Miller, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, all all the stuff then. And when the Pumpkins came along, I was like, like, even though they had like a heavier sound or whatever, it was just like a I think Billy Corgan took all that stuff from the. 60s 70s 80s and just kind of just made it perfect in the 90s kind of blended it all together yeah like a a new take on guitar rock yeah now for me i remember um i think the first i got into them or heard them was from the single soundtrack i remember uh drown or drowning whatever they drown um that song like blew me away and then i remember uh cherub rock i think was the first single from this which i would have heard on 120 minutes probably but yeah today was the big single right like that was like when that broke this this album came out uh, let's see uh, july 27th 1993 and i feel like the rest of that summer into the fall like you could hardly live a day of your life without hearing the song today it was just everywhere and then that's the thing that back then we all we had was the radio right Mm -hmm. in 93 i was still had a double cassette deck and you could still yeah, take a cassettes and or record off the radio onto a cassette, and that's that's what I did for a long time. And I think my dad, good old Bob, got a CD player. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, around that time actually, maybe a little bit before. Yeah, so I think I got for Christmas, I got the Siamese Dream CD that year. That would have been a big deal in '93 to get a CD. I remember. Oh yeah, like around that time, I was like, ooh, look at this, it's so it's so futuristic. I definitely started playing guitar around the same time too. It's funny. I remember like this came out in late July and by August, September of that year, I had my first quote unquote band. We were called ourselves lawn boy. And one of the only things we could do was play this, the song today over and over and over again. And one of my earliest, uh, like best days ever was, I just remember being on like the drummer, Gary Lutz's front yard, be like dragged all of our gear out the front yard. And, uh, and like jam that song over and over again. It was a great day. I think, if I remember correctly, they tried to get me over to Gary's house to play, mm-hmm. play today. And um, by then, a serious musical snob. And I was like, <laughs> you guys aren't playing this right. Here's how you're supposed to play it. And they're like, nah. And I was like, okay, bye. It's ringing a faint bell. I mean, it would have <laughs> been, it was, it was myself, Mike Neal, Gary Lutz, and oh, yeah. w- a woman, Aaron, spelled her name differently than yourself. Are we, uh, are we talking Mike Neal, the Mike Neal in your brother's grade? No, different Mike Neal, Mike Neal yeah. in my grade. Okay. So do you have specific memories tied up with this album? 100%. Hit me. Yeah. I mean, I was a Smashing Pumpkins nut after that. After I heard that, got the album. Let's see here. So today, I remember, I think the first memory I have that was like, oh, this is so cool, was the Today video 
on MTV mm-hmm. when they're in the ice cream truck and yeah. everybody like they're like too cool for school. Like don't give a shit. They look so cool and relaxed and like they're playing this badass music. Of course, it's all a facade. We know that now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they just seem so cool. Like, oh, these people are just they, they know what they're doing. They got a grasp yeah. of life. But, <laughs> they got <it> together. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was all a facade, obviously. That's another thing we think about talk about Billy Corgan. We're just going to talk about his artistry and just leave him alone as a person. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. We don't need to talk about his personal politics and all that kind of stuff. For me, I think the big song from this album is Disarm because uh, it was like one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar. And in a lot of ways, it's still like the only song. I know how to play on guitar. Yeah. And in eighth grade, me and our friend Mike Govier were supposed to like play that song in front of the whole school. And we did, except for that he got in trouble and wasn't able to do it. So I ended up having to do it myself. And so like I played that song on acoustic guitar and sang it in front of my whole school. And still, like to this day, you know, at, at almost 43 years of age, I'll have people from high school be like, Hey, I remember that time you played this arm. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I did that. That was a, that, that that's the thing I did. Man, as far as memorable tracks go, I celebrate most of this album. There's a few, and mm-hmm. I would disarm's probably uh, way down. It's probably my least favorite song in the album. Really? What's your favorite? Uh, Rocket. Rocket yeah. is my favorite song because it is the epitome of Smashing Pumpkins. And that's another thing. Billy Corgan said it himself like, Rocket is the epitome of Smashing Pumpkins. It's just so good. That's that sound. I remember I was taking guitar lessons and I brought this song to my guitar teacher. I'm like, how how do I play this song? This is insane. He couldn't really figure it out. You know, it's so dense and layered. Yeah. Can't really tell exactly what's going on. But when I figured it out, boom. It was a, a game changer for me because I was like, mm-hmm. this is how you get that sound. And then I, you know, that and, um, you know, the band Hum, uh, Hum mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins. I got that sound, man. I was hooked, and I just wanted to play like that and write songs like that. And it was, uh, it just made me feel good all the time. That kind yeah, of thing still does, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, <laughs> introducing my my oldest, Jackson. He's seventeen, mm-hmm. almost eighteen. Um, wow. There's a new. They're kind of a new band. They're called Bouquet, and okay. uh, yeah, they are like uh, bringing that sound back. Space rock. Yes, it's called Glisten bouquet it's called glisten yeah but okay. like at the i think um that kind of sound is, is starting to come back a little bit in uh indie rock anyway you said that rocket is your favorite what else yes. is, uh, stands out to you on the album as far as being top notch top notch uh, okay so rocket is is my favorite just for for that reason the epitome of smashing pumpkins mm-hmm. soma is so good yeah it's uh that's that you know, light, heavy, light, heavy sound. That, it's uh very indicative of the time, right? The light, heavy, light, heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hummer is... I played Hummer... I've heard that song, I don't know how many times in life. Yeah. 500,000 times? I Who knows? <laughs> it's that Now, that's another heavy, light, heavy song, which is... But, like, uh... I mean, the guitar work in that song, the dueling, like, I don't know if people understand the beginning of that song where they come in with a little, and they got the guitars, it's dueling guitars, it's Billy and uh, James going back and forth between rhythm and lead, and 
that's what makes it really cool for me. Like, especially if you watch the, the live performances, them going back and forth, uh-huh. super cool. So something that has always been kind of of interest to me that maybe you can clear up as like a mega fan is, I mean, this is this and Dinosaur Jr. is where you've been were like the first albums I remember listening to that were like, okay, these are studio albums. I can tell Mm -hmm. that this is not like they couldn't necessarily do this live. I didn't know that there was like 70 tracks of guitar on each track or whatever, but I always for a long time put most of the credit for the guitar playing on James Eha. And then I was told, you know, then I figured out much later that it's actually Billy Corgan doing a lot of that. So I guess my question is how much of the songwriting can we thank Eha for? Do you, do you know, is it more, or is it typically more Corgan? Absolutely. I think Billy Corgan's full of shit. I don't think he is the main dude because you look at, listen to Billy Corgan's solo shit. It's fucking Uh terrible. No shit. None of it's good. Even like when Uh. he had like other partners, like when he did Zwan, yeah, and he played with a guy. I can't remember the name, but he played with a guy that was from that other band, uh, 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 not Chevelle. Um, mm. oh, I can't. Uh, excuse me. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But like, even though that he only produced a couple good songs, and the, that band's Juan fell apart because Billy Corgan's a dick. Rumor has it. There's a funny story. James Eha put a solo album in 1998, mm-hmm. and I loved it. As a matter of fact, my wife and I danced our dance to a James Eha song. That's cool. Uh, solo stuff uh, at our wedding. Wow. Uh, but he put out this solo album. He didn't even tell Billy Corgan about it. And then, you know, <laughs> Billy Corgan had something to say about that. And he was like, oh, yeah, what you would have told me, I could have like made his album better. You know, so that's Billy Corgan, right? <laughs> Mayonnaise was 100% written by James E. Ha. Okay, that that one it stands out to me. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more um, emo y, right? I feel, yeah, yeah for right? sure. But I mean, I think that even if Billy Corgan wrote these songs, James Eha would just—I think he was such an, an integral part of that sound, uh-huh. of making it happen. Even like his just his little fills and stuff. And like over the years, Billy Corgan said like, "Oh, James Eha can't play and shit." But like you watch. You watch these live videos, and he's mm-hmm. playing. He's playing. Uh, Billy Corgan handles most of the solos and stuff, but as far as like carrying tracks, James Eha is no slouch, man. I I appreciated his guitar as much as I did Billy Corgan's the entire time. Nice, yeah. Nice. So we should we should give him more credit. Did Absolutely. you ever see them live? I've seen Smashing Pumpkins live probably fifteen times. Fifteen times, probably. Starting in the 90s, I can't remember how many times I saw him in the 90s, into the 2000s, early 2000s, they were still playing. Then he took a break to like 2007, and then started playing shows again. Oh, this is just mainly Billy Corgan and, and, and Jimmy Chamberlain. Uh-huh. And they started playing shows again, I went to all those, and then um, they got the full lineup back together, saw them like three times. Me and Mike Gobie actually saw their first comeback tour, and I think it was 2018, mm-hmm. somewhere around there, when he was living here. We saw him in Baltimore, and uh, it was like a three-hour concert, and man, it was awesome. Wow, it was awesome. Is that was that the best time you think, the best show of seeing them? I don't know because I've seen them in different places at different spots in the career, right? So mm-hmm. like sometimes the, I've seen them in arenas, 
I've seen them at small arenas. I saw them at a theater in Texas, like somewhere in Dallas that that's was cool. just like hold like 700 people. I think that's the smallest show I saw. I, I never saw any other smaller shows, but like 700 people in Dallas and it was amazing. That must have been awesome. So I'm at George Mason University one time. Okay. Did you see him tour for this album in support of this album? I didn't see him support this album specifically, but that it was either that year or the year after. It was Lollapalooza where they... Uh, Mm-hmm. They played main stage. Speaking of which, 93, that Lollapalooza, I think it was 93. Oh, man. It was 93 and 94. But it was like Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys, Ice Cube, Cypress Hill, Tool was second stage. Yeah, Rage was there, I think. Rage was second stage. I didn't see Lollapalooza that year. Uh, it was just like an insane show. And I, I remember seeing the Smashing Pumpkins. I think that was my first Smashing Pumpkins show was Lollapalooza. Okay, so that, that would have been in support of this album, really. I mean... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. You know, that's like forever ago. Yeah, even if it was 94, this would have been still the album that they would have been playing from. I mean, this and Gish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that Lollapalooza was nuts, man. That was, uh, whoa, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I was listening to the uh, your conversation with Chris about Pavement uh-huh. and their weird feud, right? Billy Corgan had a weird feud with those guys, too. Yeah, it lasted for years. Well, I mean, Billy Corgan had a feud with anybody he could have a feud with, and I'm not. It might have been like genius marketing. Who knows? He just like, I can if I can get heard, I can people check me out or something. I don't know. Maybe he he seems dramatic a little. Maybe overly dramatic, and that may be part why he's such a good artist. Yeah, you know, sensitive dude, super sensitive, and then like you never know. Like he just feels like maybe this time my ego shines, and like this time I want to talk about how. <laughs> humanity and how i'm more interested in humanity like he just fluctuates so much yeah. it's hard to get a take of the guy which you know obviously great art can come from that yeah it can come from anywhere i mean i've seen ratatouille what do i always say anyone can cook <laughs> hey <laughs> let me ask a question would you do you want to get ratatouille <laughs> like like in everything everywhere all at once like uh do you want a little guy up there controlling what you do i don't have the hair for it <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway bring me back where are we going? Um, so do you have any criticisms for this album? Let me think about that. I couldn't say that I do. Like even like um the tracks that I don't like, I think I just like that I don't like well, I don't like them as much just for personal reasons. There's there's I I can uh, understand where they are critically uh well liked. Mm-hmm. I think they probably could have cut one or two tracks and then you know, they had that whole B side album, Pisces Iscariot. Yeah, I would have picked a couple of different tracks to put on Siamese Dreams other than like um, like Space Boy. Oh, I love Space Boy. I think that could like I just I thought it felt tacked on. OK, like it would have been a great B-side. My criticism for the album is that I, I feel like I'm pulled in deep the first few tracks. And by the end of it, by the time you start getting into Space Boy and Sweet Sweet, um, I, I like them. But like I'm kind of all right. I'm kind of like over the album almost. It kind of drags well, a little yeah. bit towards the end. I think that's, yeah, that you cut those and just end with Luna or you bring in like those, um, those other tracks, like, um, like Glennis was from that time. You put Glennis on that album mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you pull space boy or the other one. I think you have a more comprehensive album. Like it feels better, Okay, but you know, who knows, but I think like the first seven tracks in a row, like yeah. him, Butch Vig, him and Butch Vig. Yeah, they put like that's it. Those seven tracks, boom, 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 all hit hard. 
Perfect. Yeah, Butch Vig was was really the guy of the era, and I think it really helped that they had worked together on Gish before. Like it comes across that they, there's a strong working relationship there. I think. Oh yeah, well, the, uh, I was watching an interview, a recent interview with Billy Corgan, where he was talking about. Um, as a matter of fact, it was with uh, I think it was a Rick Beato interview a couple okay. uh, a couple months ago, uh, where he said that he worked with Butch Vig and Gish, and then Butch Vig got a call to do Nirvana, and mm-hmm. uh, Billy Corgan hears the nirvana tracks and he's like he said i think he said you motherfucker you stole my guitar tone for <laughs> nirvana and then butch Vig was like like basically like yeah sorry about that but guess what i'm big now you're gonna be big now and so he was like let's do this like yeah i stole your guitar sound but you're coming too so like bitch big <laughs> okay. had a big part of uh you know getting that sound out there well i mean gish was pretty well received but of course vig would have had a, a lot to do with that as well since he produced it so yeah certainly instrumental in their careers it would seem all right i got a couple other questions for you for one is there anything that we haven't talked about just is there anything that you wanted to address that we haven't gotten to oh man i don't know like i used to sit like uh i i I guess i was kind of a romantic too back in that day so so like sure i think i I was either a a sophomore let's see was this 93 i think it was Mm -hmm. a sophomore in 93 but anyway, yeah, like so I was trying to always be a big sweetheart to the ladies and I was I was make mixtapes. Oh, of course. We put smashing punkman songs on there and I would sing yeah. them to I would try to learn on my guitar and sing them to ladies. Mm, so the sensitive side of yourself. Yeah. Good times. I mean, as far as the the music goes, that I still I really think it was just an influence of such a major influence on me on guitar. Yeah. That's what I really take away. Like if I could take away one thing from this album billy corgan james e ha just that like uh they really influenced me and on on what i play and how i play Mm -hmm. i appreciate that and i always like also like imagine that album and you talk about this with other bands too you know modest mouse change where they got a new drummer it's not a good but like imagine the smashing pumpkins and you can you don't have to imagine it you can hear it without jimmy chamberlain you know, they had a couple yeah. tracks. They used Matt Walker from um, Filter. He drummed for them for a while. Oh, he was okay. a touring drummer. But, like, you think, imagine the Pumpkins without that kind. Like, because Jimmy Chamberlain was not a rock and roll drummer. Never played rock and roll before in his life. He's all, He was always oh, really? a jazz musician. Uh, you listen to his his solo albums. They're all j- they're just jazz albums, basically. Huh. And then that's the way he played. So you put that stuff together, you know, that, that it's almost a butting head style. But when you listen to it, I mean, it just... It's so full. And I mm-hmm. think you really like, like you couldn't have Smashing Pumpkins without Jimmy Chamberlain and you couldn't have Smashing Pumpkins without James Eha mm-hmm. until now. And if you listen to the stuff they're making now, it's terrible. You got no Jimmy shit. Chamberlain, Billy Corgan and James Eha all together. And they made an album. No Darcy. She's gone. Never. She never came back. And as a matter of fact, now she's having a lot of bad problems. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But uh, they made they basically they made this album uh, a couple years ago, and it was uh, almost like a synth wave album kind of. Okay. They didn't utilize Jimmy Chamberlain, and um, the synth was not good. Like it was like a like a grandpa trying to make music for kids, <laughs> uh, and that Ooh. was terrible. Mm. And then just came out with this new like double or triple album called it's called Adam. Or A-T-U-M, yeah. A-T-U-M, A-T-U-M, right. Uh, Adam. Adam. And I list, I try, I've given it a shot a couple of times, listening to different ways. 
Billy Corgan now seems to think that people want to hear him sing. Like, his voice is in the front, oh. but nobody wants to hear that fucking guy <laughs> sing. Like, nobody wants that voice ahead of all the other tracks, right? It worked real good when it was blended together. And maybe he was singing like this, you know, right. free and fun. Or even when he screamed. You know, that stuff was good. But now he's yeah. just, like, flat out trying to be, like, a pop singer. And it's, mm. like, no matter what the tracks are, it sounds terrible because he's a, not a good singer. It's a shame. Like, right? He's got that unique sound. He can whisper sing. Whisper sing's great. And his scream is great. But this guy, yeah. like, I'm not trying to hear just, like, a nasal registry that cuts through the dynamics, eh. the sonic dynamics of all the rest of the track, unlistenable. Eh. That's a shame. Yeah. I have a random 90s question for you, but before we get to that, uh, what track should we end on for your interview? Woo! From this album? Yeah. What, what's the outro for you on this album? Like, what are we going to send you off with? Geeky USA. All right. You know, Geek USA, I really love the like the like the surfer rock like four measure fucking breakdown. Uh, it's it gets all like light and airy. In a dream we are connected. Siamese dream. Oh, there it is. He sang, yep, the, he sang the part. Is. He sang the song title or the, the album title. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when this album was released mm-hmm. in 1993 on July 27th, it was a Tuesday. You're a movie guy. I'm a movie guy. So I got a movie question for you. According to Box Office Mojo, okay. the following five movies were the top five blockbusters of the time, going from least to, to most profitable at that specific week uh number five was scent of a woman okay number four was last action hero number three oh. was cliffhanger oh. number two was jurassic park oh wow and number one well because it had been out for like over a month okay. so it was starting to you know what i mean um number two was jurassic park and number one that week was in the line of fire so which one of these movies you just picked up Siamese Dream on vinyl the day it came out. You're now going to go to Brighton MJR movie theaters or wherever. Uh, which of these five films are you going to catch in theaters for the first time? Last Action Hero. Fucking A. Yes, you are. That's what I'm going to pick too. 100%. Yep. I mean, it's amazing. 100%. It's a, that movie is like the first, like, <laughs> I can remember, like, that's the first real, like, uh, satirical, like, uh, movie about Hollywood yeah. that really, like, made fun of itself that I can remember anyway. It was great. I mean, I saw Jurassic Park and Cliffhanger in theaters, and those are fine movies. And Son of a Woman is still a great movie. I haven't seen it in the Line of Fire in a long time, but man, I I still watch Last Action Hero like pretty regularly because it's a great movie, like a truly great movie. I'd love I wa- to see that. In oh yeah, I, I watched a. As a matter of fact, out of those five in the last year, I watched three of them, and my favorite <laughs> time was Last Action Hero. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? This does not surprise me at all. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on to my new podcast to talk about this album that means so much to you, Siamese Dream by the Smashing, or is it just Smashing? It's by by Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I think it really is the Smashing Pumpkins, but like you never, who knows? Who cares? I just say Smashing Pumpkins because it's dumb to say the in front of anything that sounds cool. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all the same. I appreciate it.
I'm old enough to remember even like eight tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Eight tracks, set tapes, albums, CDs. So when I started getting old enough, I had a job. Okay, fuck it. I am going to talk about the weather. It's really, really windy out there. I know that it's not super interesting maybe to hear about this after the fact, but it's like 50 or 60 mile per hour winds going on out there. Uh, so that's, that's what's going on. Aaron is such a fun dude, a collector. You know, he's the kind of guy that just, he absorbs things. He puts them on display in his home. He is very much someone that he, he gathers things up. He likes to consume, uh, which I can wholeheartedly relate to. It was really nice of him to come on to the show and talk about his interest in Smashing Pumpkins. It's really nice of you to be listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's really nice of these bands to release this music and um, hopefully not sue me for free advertising. I haven't really decided how frequently I'm going to be releasing these episodes. I got a little bit of downtime right now so I could kind of pump them out. And I'm re- happy to be recording a whole bunch. If you want to record with me, please email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. Or you could find my social media presence at 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy on like Facebook. I haven't started a Twitter as of the recording here. Not sure I want to. If you want to come on the show and talk about any album, that would be great. I'm kind of looking for someone to come on and talk uh, River of Dreams, the album from Billy Joel that was released in 1993. It was his last album. Was it his best album? No. Um, but it'd be fun to talk about it all the same and to talk Billy Joel. So if you want to come on the show and talk Billy Joel's River of Dreams or any other album with me, shoot me a line at 9394podcast at gmail.com. And I think that's about it for today. Uh, I'm going to comfort my dogs. They're very concerned about the wind. They don't know what it means. They just know that it's loud and voracious. Although they are starting to calm down. I'm sure you're concerned. All right, party people. Uh, I still have not thought of uh, some sort of clever way to wrap all this up. So just pretend I said something clever and um, have a nice day. I don't know. Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.